Father, we've just declared, here in the death of Christ, I live. We seek to understand more fully this profound mystery and how it is that by dying we find life, by entering into your suffering we share in your glory, and as your kingdom makes its way more fully into this world through our lives, as you share that with us, and we look this morning at the gifts of your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to understand your heart behind this, your desire for its completion, and what it is that you're asking of every single one of us today. Spirit of the living God, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. You may be seated. So according to the schedule, tonight, Dort's men's basketball team is heading down to Sioux City to play Morningside. Is anybody planning on going down, watching the game? I see some hands um, in the back. Well, I can only guess that in preparation for a game like this, Coach Brian Van Haften would put together a game plan. He would study film of the opposing team. He would see who their best players are and how it is that you're going to come up with a strategy to best defeat your opponent. You want to shut down all of their most potent offensive tactics and players. You want to create a defensive plan that's going to contain all of this, and you're going to figure out how it is that you're going to exploit their weaknesses. And the coach who's been doing this for decades and decades is going to come up with a plan. Now imagine you're one of the players. The game's about to start, and you're about to hop on the court. And you're just like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm just, I'm going to do my own thing. And then the other player who's coming behind him on the court says, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm just going to do my own game plan today. Like, how well do you think that game is going to be executed and played if that's the case? If we abandon the plan that the coach has had for everything, it's probably going to fall on its face. There's a notion of self-sacrifice and buying into a system bigger than yourself if that is at all to work in any form of a team sport. We've been going all semester through the work of the Holy Spirit as it's declared to us from the book of Revelation or book of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. We're going to turn that into a, an Advent series in the coming weeks. And where we find ourselves now is in this New Testament era of the church where we see the Holy Spirit start to pour out fruit on his people and his gifts on the people, and he has a strategy. He has a game plan. Not only did he create the entire earth, and he knows his opponent inside and out. He knows exactly what it's going to take to overturn all the places and strongholds of power that the evil one holds. Systemically in the world, but also personally in every single one of our lives. He's got a game plan. He knows exactly what it will take. And he has given us this plan 
following the resurrection and the ascension through the Holy Spirit and what he is going to do through his people, through his church, and he's going to endow us with some of the supernatural gifts of heaven in order to give a glimpse to the world of the love of God that will be in all of its fullness and perfection when we experience it in glory. And he's going to allow us to provide glimpses for our neighbors and for our families and for the world around us in little moments here and there. As a Christian, you are endowed with supernatural gifts. There are places and times and moments and aspects of your personhood where heaven's potential will break into your earth reality now. That was the promise. That was Jesus' plan. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He had a, a geographical strategy that he employed at the beginning of the book of Acts. He had carefully chosen all of the fruit that would be weighed out in your life and be made known to the people around you. He would give you a platform to practice it with all the people that you are in community with within your church or within your college community. And you're going to transform the world by this strategy and by these tactics. In the last two weeks, Sam talked with us about the fruit of the Spirit. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, what I want you to think about is not just good things that people do, but at the end of the day, the fruit of the Spirit, when I look at the list, it's the personality of God. When we tell you that it's our calling to be Christ-like in the world, we don't mean that you're supposed to be better people than somebody else. We're supposed to actually allow God to infuse our being with his personality characteristics of love and goodness and kindness and gentleness. And make no mistake, this is the strategy that God has given his people to turn the world upside down. So if the fruit of the Spirit is the personality of God and the personality of heaven breaking into the here and now, then the gifts of the Spirit are the endowments and glimpses of the love of God worked out when it comes in authority, when it comes with an ability to transform its environment. Every gift of the Spirit is a power of heaven broken into the here and now for the purpose of demonstrating the love of God in the world. And so often I think when we come to these conversations about um, the gifts of the Spirit, we think that there's something we ought to do to unlock this. Maybe I need to pray harder. Maybe we need to, we're just going to storm the gates of heaven and ask God um, more vociferously that he would do this. Like, like the gifts of God are somehow in a giant heavenly pinata, and if we just swing right and bust this thing open, then it'll all fall and rain down on everybody. But the reality is, is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit come when we employ the strategy of heaven. Mark Stibbe says it like this. Yes, revival is more of the spirit, but it comes via more of the cross. If we want to see the gifts of the spirit played out, we have to come back to the place of the cross and realize that it's through repentance and prayer and us being transformed in the likeness of God and him having his way with every aspect of our lives. It's not just about, hey God, I think speaking in tongues would be really cool. Could you give me that one? It's not a Christmas list. It's not an Amazon wish list that we're just going to sort of populate with all of our hopes and desires. And maybe if we just pray hard enough, read the right book or attend the right weekend conference or legislate this maybe even from a position of authority, then it'll all happen. Here in the death of Christ, 
I live. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So what I want to do with you now is actually take a look at the passages that actually contain the different listings of spiritual gifts in the New Testament so we can kind of unpack this a little bit. Obviously we won't have time to do a treatment of every single one of them, but what I want to do is draw some of the themes and general characteristics together, and then of course what we learn from the New Testament of how it is that these are accessed and made manifest in our lives. So let's start with Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to everybody else. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Because you see, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. See, not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not think that you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now from the most famous one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kind of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kind of service, but the same Lord there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Now the verse is at the end of chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now we eagerly desire the greater gifts. And finally, the third listing, the special endowment of the Spirit from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful definition of maturity? Attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Everything that God intends you to be. Do you think of yourself growing up in the world, leave that as your definition of maturity and what you aspire to? Now, by way of summary, let's take a look at a chart um, that kind of highlights all of these. And what I've done now in yellow here is highlighted the ones that find themselves repeating themselves in different lists. One of the things actually that I noticed in this that I had never seen before when we did it this way um, observation one in this, is the one spiritual gift or the one gifting of the Holy Spirit that appears more in all of these lists repeated than any other is teaching. So the next time you have a massive homework assignment, I want you to think about your faculty member as a gift from heaven. Teaching more than any other, to be able to bestow, to bestow wisdom and an understanding of the world and how God operates within it for each and every next generation and the telling of that story is the most oft-repeated gift of heaven listed in the gifts of the spirit somebody hug a prof today and say thank heaven for you what else do you see when you look at this list what kind of observations are there I got the last one there on miscellaneous passages, and these are several other places in the New Testament where there's very specifically mentioned that in order for the person to live this out, a special endowment of the Holy Spirit allowed them to acquire and achieve what their human flesh could not do on its own, a heavenly superpower, like celibacy, the hospitality, be willing to die for the faith, to be a missionary, or to voluntarily even enter into poverty. So let me make some general observations um, about this list and sort of the intersecting pieces within it. First one, it's what you should know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul had this one right up front in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. I do not want you to be uninformed. Another way to translate that, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
As a Christian, you don't get to choose ignorance is bliss as a way of going forward with the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus has said, through my Spirit, this is how the world will change. And so we don't get to use the excuse, yeah, well, I've heard people have abused the gifts of the Spirit, so I'm just sort of avoiding that or ignoring it. It is not a valid excuse. Knowledge is power. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and understanding what heaven wants to do in this place. Number two, the diversity of the gifts that are in all the lists are founded in the diversity of the Trinity itself. You heard that in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of this, but the same Lord. Different kinds of this, but the same God. And this is like this Trinitarian passage. God, the, the fa- God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mentioned in all three verses. And the, the gifts that are displayed are a reflection of the diversity within God himself. So to be made in the image of God and to live as an image bearer of God in this world and to allow the personality characteristics of God to exhibit themselves in this world means to allow ourselves to participate in something and give ourselves permission and grace that I don't have to be everything to all people. I don't have to preach like Sam does because Sam gets to do it like God called Sam to do. And I get to do it the way God called me to do. And I'm not accountable and will never stand before God one day and he'd be like, I don't know why you didn't preach more like Sam does, Aaron. Because I'm accountable for what God has given me and Sam will be for his and every single one of us for the same types of things. And in God's masterful genius, his plan, his master plan that works from the beginning of knowing how the earth is created and how it will all end and how you will be in existence at this moment in time has placed within you a plan to show the world the love of God through the platform of your life by the way that you are uniquely created. And you doing that in combination with me doing it the way God has asked me to and everybody else here doing it the way that God has asked you to is all part of the perfect mosaic of God's genius plan on how the enemy will be defeated, how the kingdom of God will go to the ends of the earth, and how the world will understand and know his love. Number three, the gifts are given to my capital S slash small s spirit. This concept comes from this book. One of, the, one of the greatest theologians of the late 20th and early 21st century died a couple weeks ago, Gordon Fee. Um, I had the pleasure of getting him as a professor, the hardest professor I have ever had. No, seriously, like worse than Fessler. And I remember him telling us, if you're going to do anything with the gifts that you've been given, it is worth doing it to the absolute utmost, to the absolute peak of all of your ability and strength, because God is worth it. And I loved listening to Gordon Fee when he taught, especially because he was an ordained Assembly of God preacher and a Reformed theologian all rolled into the same person. He was a Reformed charismatic. And so he wrote this whole seminal book on God's work and how the Holy Spirit operates through the letters of Paul and talks about his infusion into our lives and our allowance of it taking place where God's personality and the gifts of heaven start enmeshing themselves inside of us that we become a little bit more like God. And so he would talk about my capital S slash slash small s spirit because the work of heaven and the longings of the world are being met on the platform of my life the glory of God. 
That is a humbling and beautiful concept. And only God, through the work of his Holy Spirit, can make you become everything that you were created to be and everything that you could be. And then when your flesh has reached its limit, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are a little more on top of that that allow you to be more effective in the world than anybody else, than anybody else. Like, you do understand that we have an advantage. It drives me nuts when I hear Christians acting like they're victims in the world today. You are not victims. You have the authority of the King of Kings. You have the power of heaven. You have the personality of God that wants to break through in your life. And a calling to change and transform every environment that you walk into. When you walk into the room, you get to come with the power of heaven. You get to come with eyes of faith. And you get to turn the structures and prejudices and preferences of the world upside down. Because your life is becoming heaven's playground when we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Number four. The gifts, just like the fruit, are all about the other. When you're looking at that list and you see all those things, none of those things, none of the fruit of the Spirit and none of the gifts of the Spirit can work inside of a vacuum. And I purposely read the longer versions of every one of those passages because you could see all around it the elements of community built into it. You can't do this on your own. I don't get to pray, God, give me this gift if I have any sort of selfish motive built within that at all. My heart has to be broken for the other in order for that gift of heaven to be released into that setting. Or at least for that possibility to take place. Think about every time the Pharisees came before Jesus and they just wanted a sign, like just kind of prove it. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, the power of heaven is not for a prove it kind of mentality. How well did that go for the Pharisees each time they wanted that and came before Jesus? They acted like they were in the power position and you need to prove it to us. The gifts of the Spirit do not exist to disprove doubts of other fellow believers. They exist to advance the kingdom of God and display the love of heaven in the world today. That's what they're for. Paul even talks about it in the passage we read, for the common good. That's why any gift that you've been given is for the common good. It's not for yourself. It doesn't say anything about you. And so it's not about your performance. It's not about how great of a Christian you are. And if you were just a little more holy, you would have more gifts. That's not it. If you're a little more broken before the cross, God might be more inclined to pour more of these things out in your life because your motivations are coming for the other. It's a life poured out. It's coming back to cruciform living again and again and, and trusting that Jesus' strategy still works. And every time I have this conversation anywhere, somebody always pushes back and says, yeah, but in the real world today, and my response is simply this. There is no world over which Jesus is not sovereign. His strategies do not work and his love has not compelled him to die and to transform it. There is no real world outside the power of Jesus. This is the real world and this is the one he came for. And yes, it might sound overly idealistic to transform the world with kindness and gentleness. But man alive, how starved are the world for these things today. They shake and they rattle and they change people when they actually get played out in our lives. 
I was on a Christian website the other day that was buying a t-shirt. And uh, I got to the checkout. And, you know, it says, like, choose your payment method. And you could pick, like, credit card, you know, typically, or, or, ca or Venmo or whatever. I got there. This was how you had to pay for the shirt. It said, your method of payment, forgive someone, welcome a stranger, and the list went on. That was what you had to do. I have never hesitated more over my mouse before clicking purchase online for anything ever. Because that cost was higher than anything. The currency of heaven, in order to purchase things, I chose forgive someone. That is the most expensive shirt I've ever bought in my life. Somebody I've been angry at for 15 years, and the Spirit of God was like, here's your moment, Aaron, here's your opportunity. Someone said to me, that's cool, you got a free t-shirt. And I was like, oh, it was not free. I've been holding on to that anger for a very long time, and I felt very entitled to it. All the gifts of heaven are supposed to work like that. They disrupt the fabric of society. They change expectations. They demand more from us. And they are a power under approach. And they teach us that we don't need to be able to legislate our morality in order for the world to be one to Christ. I read a pastor last week in Christianity Today who was talking about um, Christian nationalism. And at first he thought this was a wonderful idea, that the zeal to see our country more Christian sounded right. So he put these things together, and for a long time he believed that that was a path of transformation. But then he came to the realization, reading through the story of Jesus' betrayal, that Peter pulls out his sword. And he's like, when Peter pulled out his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane to defend Jesus, that was the first act ever of Christian nationalism. And I thought, he's right. To believe that at the power of a sword, or through a gavel, or through the systems and structures of this world that we could legislate and change. That's no different than Sharia law. Jesus offered us a better way. It's a simple way, but it's very hard to do. It causes you to hesitate before hitting purchase over a mouse. Because it will cost you. But there is no other plan. This is it. That's the one we got. This is how we change the world. Not by legislating, not by climbing to positions of power, and by dying to our own selfishness so all of it can be directed to the blessing and benefit of somebody else. And if you want to see the power of heaven unleashed in your life, come back before the cross. Orient your heart towards the other. Live like Jesus. His gifts of heaven seem to flow pretty freely through him. And his heart was motivated by somebody else and not something for himself. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in a closing song. As we ask God to do this power within us. And I want to remind you, if you want to explore this some more, we're going to have a Q&A time tonight at 8.30 on the Gifts of the Spirit in SB 1606. Um, and then we're going to have a little bit of time of worship and just an opportunity to pray over you. If there's something that you're being, um, that God's turning over in this, if the Spirit's um, pricking your conscience or your heart right now in some way come, and we just want a chance to let you ask some questions and pray over you, um, and come and go as you please. So if that would be a blessing to you tonight, we would love to serve you in SB 1606, starting at 8.30 p.m. I'll read this quote in closing from Simon Ponzondi. 
in his book, More. Those who wish to be in the flow of the Spirit will inevitably be drawn back to the cross. Spiritual men and women who desire more of God will constantly learn the painful lesson of personal crucifixion. And only as we die do we live. And only as we lay down our lives are they resurrected in the power of the Spirit. And only as we hide ourselves in the wounds of Christ is the ongoing healing, saving power of the cross manifested through us. May it be so.